the video I'm filming uh, is about, I call it an obstacle that I'm facing in BGJ. And it's related to my experience in Portland. When I was going to your sessions, oh. like my favorite, I still can't compare them to anyone else's. And one of the reasons was because you were teaching fundamentals versus techniques. Right. You speak many times about that. And I really relate to that mm, philosophy. But then most other places, they don't teach that way. And in Lithuania, the one I'm training at, there's one instructor who's actually doing something towards that direction. But okay. at the moment, he's away. And yeah. the person who's teaching, he's, you know, a technique maniac. Yeah. And so I'm kind of thinking, it's not like a real major issue, but I, I, I thought it's a, an interesting narrative to present to people like this, this struggle of uh, fighting or trying to find my, my training regime when most people are focusing on techniques and I'm actually yearning for fundamentals. So, sure. so essentially my first question is, do you think it's a legit uh, justifiable issue that I have, that I'm frustrated that there's techniques are taught while I want fundamentals? Yeah, of course I think it's, I think it is because I feel so strongly about teaching the way I do. Um, mm. So you're, you you're, acknowledging or running into a problem that I've been working on for a couple decades and I don't have a I don't have a good solution to you because even with many of my own black belts and some of the instructors I, I I will see them go back and teach chains of movements and veer away from fundamentals start to teach you know personal style or or what I would call the fruit and leaves of the tree rather than the trunk and the base and the and the posture and all, all the stuff that actually makes jujitsu work hmm. so I think there's two things one I I've never found teaching that way hard, but it's clear to me over the years that for a lot of people, it is hard to teach that way, which is one of the reasons why it's rarely done. And I'll use someone else besides myself as an example would be coach John Frankel. Mm. So recently when coach Frankel has been teaching seminars the last couple of years, he's not just teaching the fundamentals of jujitsu by position, which is usually what I tend to do, but he's teaching one fundamental movement. So if you really break jujitsu down by physical movements, there's really only about 11, 10 or 11. Um, and everything is composed of one of those 10, 10 or 11 movements. One being what we call the universal sprawl. When you shift sprawl to one side of your body and shift all your weight from one side to the other. Um, so he'll give a seminar on just that movement and show it in all the different places it applies. And what that does for students is that opens up their mind to what fundamental actually is. It allows them to see it and see it on all the different places in jujitsu, even if they're a white belt, they'll start to notice it in all the different locations that it's, that it is. And then they can focus on that movement and get better a lot faster. So that's a, I think that's a brilliant idea. I've never seen anyone do that, but him, I've never seen anybody else teach using that methodology. And, um, and when I was thinking about why that is, I think it's just because it's hard to be able to teach at that level, first of all, you have to have an understanding of jujitsu that's pretty high level, as Coach John obviously does. He's a fifth, fifth degree black belt. He's been doing it a long time. You also have to think about it long enough to be able to compose and, in your mind, break down the art to that core hmm. and then be able to articulate it to other people. And so, on top of that, he's also a full time professor with a high level of education with a, you know, PhD from Harvard. So he's got this strong background that allows him to do that. I wouldn't expect the average Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, especially one that's been doing jiu-jitsu for less than 30 or 35 years to be able to pick that up at that method and do it. it right. It's difficult. You know, that took a lot of work, a lot mm -hmm. of intellectual work, I think on coach Frankel's part to be able to put together that curriculum and be able to make a seminar out of it. Mm -hmm. But, Having said that, there are levels to this game, right? So there's no reason why somebody can't take, like I often do, take a position like Mount Top or whatever, and think to themselves, what are the, what are the five most important things to be able to hold this position? Hmm. What order do they arise in naturally on the mat when you run into problems? Hmm. Um, what are the, what order really of importance are there? Like, what's the single most important thing, and the second most important thing, and third most important thing, and then focus on that. And then insert a collar choke or an arm bar or whatever else you want to do. And, and when teaching the submission, teach why the submission works, what your body's doing 
which it'll do with all the principles of submission that transcend, you know, individual submission that you find everywhere, all the principles that allow you to submit somebody. Anyone can do that, but mm. it, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes um, some intellectual energy and, it, and above all else, it takes the will to do all that. And to have the will to do all that, I think in many ways you have to have been exposed to it. And then when you were exposed to it, like it, the, like the way you, you appreciate that. I, I like that way of teaching. So when I see somebody like Coach Henry, for example, Henry Akins, hmm. I like all his material. The reason why I like all his material because it's all very fundamental jujitsu. So once you've been exposed to it, if that's what you like, like in my case, I can't even really focus on other types of jujitsu instructionals because I wind up getting bored if it's not based around fundamentals. Hmm. And so there's a there's also just an aspect that's subjective taste. But if somebody hasn't been exposed to it, and I think it goes without saying, I think it's just an obvious, obvious that the vast majority of Brazilian jiu-jitsu is not taught that way. Mm. And so, and if you haven't been exposed to it, and that means the majority of humans that do jiu-jitsu have not been exposed to it yet, unless they train with Hickson or Henry or SBG, um, they wouldn't even know what they're missing. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even know where to begin to start to put together a curriculum like that. Mm. And so, uh, I'll stop here and otherwise I'll just keep going on. But yeah, I, yeah. It's all good. But the, I think you have to have spent, seen it the way you have. Mm-hmm. And then when you've seen it, been able to appreciate it. Some, a lot of people do. That's why I do seminars and people show up. And, and, but there's people who don't. That, that's not their thing, which is fine. So you have to see it. You have to appreciate it. Then you have to put the time and energy into, into teaching that way. Mm. And it's harder to teach that way than it is to just teach technique the easiest thing in the world to do is to walk out into a jujitsu mat and start teaching some sequence of movements probably one that you like or that you're good at or that you're working on in like a one two three format and then have the students just practice back and forth mimicking what you're doing that's the simplest thing anybody can do that so so by default that actually becomes what most people do Mm. uh from what you're saying uh, because basically my next question would have been i'm a blue belt yeah and uh, i'm wondering if maybe i'm trying to jump ahead maybe i still should just go with the flow and learn techniques maybe it's too early for me to focus on fundamentals but from what i gather it's it's you can become interested in the fundamentals from as early as white belt yeah no the best jujitsu and by best, I mean the jujitsu that works the, the most, the, the most the most practical jujitsu, the kind of jujitsu you would use in a fight if you got in a fight or if you were doing MMA, um, is learned at white belt. Mm. White belt jujitsu is the highest level jujitsu, actually. After that, oftentimes it just becomes tangents of particular routes that you that somebody likes that you may or may not ever find yourself in or uh, or may or may not work for your body and your temperament but the fundamental jujitsu that you learn at white belt is that stuff that we all do that we're all going to do very all the time um, that we all need and so no i mean the smart way to approach jujitsu in my opinion if you want to learn jujitsu at a high level and you want to um, do it for the rest of your life and you want to understand how it works and you want to get good as fast as you can get you can is to focus on fundamentals from day one and just Mm. stick with stick with those fundamentals and all the way through black belt. So I think it's something somebody should be working on from day one all the way through. And it doesn't matter if you're a blue belt or purple belt. As you know, at my class, when I teach, now I'm teaching on Friday nights in Portland, um, there's no levels. Mm. I've got white belts there that have been training for a month and black belts on the mat that have been training for 20 years. And they're they're practicing the same thing. Um, The the black belt might... uh, have a little more intensity when they're drilling. Uh, they might they might expand um, what they're doing to a slightly larger degree than the white belt would, but they're working on the same material. There's no advanced jujitsu. There's just mm. fundamentals, which is what's most important. Mm. But no, I don't think it's I don't think it has anything to do with your belt level. Mm. I think you mentioned just now that. Uh, you don't have necessarily like a designated solution to offer, but like, what would be like any ideas, like 
in my case, in my situation, or anyone else who's in the same situation, I want fundamentals, but I'm in a jiu-jitsu class where technique is the primary focus. Like, what would you say would be best to do in that case? Well, the you know you just got to make a cost benefit analysis so you're you're in this area where else can you go the main thing you need for jujitsu is other bodies that are good training partners mm-hmm. and so you know if, if that's a school where the commute the people are nice and it's a good community um and you can roll and you can train with lots of people you you know you may not want to give that up just because they're not focused on fundamentals like i said most jujitsu schools aren't mm-hmm. but what you could do is um continue on your own focusing on fundamentals and learning what the fundamentals are did this day these days with the internet right they've got spg university you've got coach henry's material you go on youtube you can find these different instructors expose yourself to that kind of jujitsu and then when someone's teaching no matter who it is or how bad a coach they they are they are or not you can look and recognize what part of what they're doing involves fundamentals because if it works if it's functional jujitsu right within whatever they're doing there'll be a nugget of of gold there that's an act the actual fundamental that should be the part that the instructor is focused on maybe they don't know or they don't care to focus on that they just want to show you all these different things that they can do you know all these different possibilities but at the heart of that possibility imagine a tree right you have all these thousands of possibilities the instructor's just throwing all this shit out there and this guy does this and you do this and you do all this but at, if you go back 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 all the way you're eventually going to come to the nexus the, the the base and the posture and connection and major branch direction of force pressure that is the fundamental of what made that work mm-hmm. you can see that and then on your own when you're when you're training with your partner there during class or whatever try and focus on that part of it mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, and so, you know, I can watch anybody teach jujitsu, no matter who they are. And if they're doing good jujitsu, if they're doing something that I would consider practical, functional jujitsu, I can see which part of what they're doing is the part that's actually making that work, the fundamental aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then I can, on my own, I, I can take that part and that would be the part that I would work. And mm-hmm. you may wind up you know, the, the biggest thing that I think somebody's going to miss out at at a school like that isn't information because they're probably going to throw all kinds of information to you. It's going to be like a fire hose, right? You're trying to get a drink from a fire hose. And we have the internet. And so the biggest thing that people miss out on at schools like that is drilling. Mm. They, they end up not drilling the fundamentals because the class, the teacher is going to show a bunch of techniques and then everybody rolls, right? You get to rolls. Yeah. So the good part is you get to roll with different bodies and and train at that school, you're going to get access to information, most of which probably won't be that valuable. But within that, there will be fundamentals. And if you have the eyes to see, then you can find those. Mm. And then what you'd have to do on your own is you'd have to find some people that kind of like what you're doing mm. and drill on your own time, you know, mm-hmm. set the timer up on the mat and do, do the alive drills. And, and, and when you're drilling, you can focus on just those fundamentals. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I'm also thinking um, from kind of a technical approach perspective. um, So for example, you released or now the second mount uh, instructional and it's focused on fundamentals, but it's also focused on a single um, position. Right. And I also am somewhat familiar with your tree, Mm -hmm. posture and everything. And is there a way to to kind of, or maybe some instructional you've made or someone else made, where the fundamental it's the fundamentals itself are explained in a kind of a holistic way versus in a single position, or it's better to just take a single position and focus there, and then get to know the the main fundamentals, and then try to establish them in different places. I'm trying to kind of figure out how to best learn that on my own in a way. Sure. Um, yeah, I've shot lots of videos over the years, uh, all of which is on SBGU, on SBG University, mm-hmm. where I, I explain what a fundamental is and, and, um, and how I think the art works as best as I can. Right. Um, so they can find that there. I don't have one particular title I, I can think of off the top of my head, but that would be, that would be the source for watching it. But 
for me, the best way I've had, and it's just a, it's just a metaphor, but the best metaphor I've, I've come up with for how jujitsu works is that tree. Mm. And that tree is basically a formula. And the formula tells you in what order jujitsu happens. Okay. So it always begins with base. And so the first thing, if you want to focus on fundamentals is ask yourself, what is base? And why does it have to start with base? So for example, if I'm getting, so when, let me rewind for a second. If two people get in a fight with each other and none of them know jujitsu, they're going to go right to just what we call pressure or force, which is grabbing, pushing, pulling. They're going to grab heads, pull the other guys, push in, they're hanging on. It's like what you'd see in a movie or in a schoolyard fight, right? Where they're rolling around on the ground and grabbing each other's heads and occasionally throwing a punch and then they get thrown off. And that's what it looks like. Mm. When you learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you become a blue belt, you're pretty much uh, going to dominate a situation like that, even at mm. blue belt against somebody that doesn't know jujitsu, right? To, to such degree that oftentimes it's actually quite easy, right? They're going to put you in a headlock and that, well, that's your world. You're going to escape, get on top, arm lock them. Probably nothing they can do about that. Hmm. Well, the reason why that works is because they're just doing force. They're just pushing and pulling hmm. and grabbing. And what you're doing is you're getting base and posture first, and then you're applying force. Hmm. And so the base and posture gives you leverage and the leverage is what allows you, uh, a smaller person, to beat someone bigger on the ground. Okay, mm. So if I'm on bottom, if I'm getting smashed by some big guy, uh, I will, first of all, I have to understand how the, the art works. And when you understand how the art works, let's say, for example, I'm going to pull guard or I'm going to go to my hands and knees, right, I'm gonna, to escape. I have to put my body in a position where I'm on my side a little bit so that I can move my hips away and mm. then pull guard. Um, that's, that's posture. I'm putting myself into a, a posture where I have more leverage so that I can then use my legs and my limbs to escape. The first thing I have to do when I go to do that is I have to do what I have to take a little step with my outside foot. I have to step out. I have to put a post outside my silhouette so that I can then move my hips. And that way, because my foot, my, if they're on my right side, my left foot's on the mat, right? it creates a frame. And even when somebody's big and they're driving weight into you this way, you can maintain that position. And because you maintain that position, you can create space and then you can pull your, get your guard back. That's how jujitsu works. But you'll notice what happened there is it began with pot with base. Hmm. If I just tried to roll on my side, like there's somebody real big and heavy. I mean, I'm just trying to turn into them and then you just keep getting smashed. Hmm. The first thing you do is you create better base, a better connection to the ground with your foot. And then mm. through the ground, you're able to, to get posture. And now you have leverage. You have base and posture. That's how all jujitsu works. So base and posture are two words for the same thing once you acquire them. Mm. But the acquisition of base and posture always begins with base. So first you stabilize your, your connection to the ground. And then you adjust your posture the way your body is physically shaped in relation to your opponent, the way their body is physically shaped. And then if you're doing jujitsu, Hickson style jujitsu, you make sure you have a good connection or you're denying their connection and then you apply force. And that's how all of jujitsu works. So it's base posture and then pressure force. So the base, the trunk, the trunk, the roots of the tree postures, the trunk, and then the major branches or directions of force. And where those major branches connect to the, the trunk is, is, is connection, which is also a really important principle. But I would, in the beginning, I would, people maybe don't even need to worry about connection because we're just talking at a, on a very simple level. So base and posture and then directions of force. Hmm. From those directions of force flow an almost infinite variety of branches, right? Pine cones and fruit, whatever. And what most, what we're talking about is what most jujitsu instructors do is they start to teach that the fruits of that tree, mm. but what allows those, all those branches to branch off and it becomes counter for counter. And that's where the evolution of jujitsu occurs. Like, because games evolve, this guy will develop this branch of, let's say leg lock attacks mm. and other people then develop a counter to it. And there's another branch that comes up there. And pretty soon, if you were to do, for example, if you were to map it out as a, uh, uh, a big map where all the, the movements were connected, right? It would be huge, mm. right? Eventually you're going to have this huge map. But if you follow all those 
branches back to their core, you're going to go always back to a base and a posture and a direction of force. That mm. and and so once you understand how jujitsu works that way, when you're looking at a movement, any movement, an escape from a headlock, a submission from mount, uh, a, a sweep from the guard, whatever it is, you're going to notice that there's a particular base that the person has to have. They're in a particular posture, and then mm. there is a direction that they're applying force because angle is always very important in jujitsu. The mm. angle that you apply the force, and those things are what makes that movement work. Mm. So the movement didn't work because the other guy didn't know it, or because it's fancy, or because it's like a magical, like super movement. The, the, mm. There's nothing magical about jujitsu techniques. The movement worked because the guy that did the movement had the base and posture necessary to be able to apply force in the direction that force needed to be applied. That mm. is how jujitsu works. Mm. And so once people start to understand that, you can look at anybody teaching anything, assuming what they're teaching is, is valid Brazilian mm. jujitsu, and you'll be able to reverse engineer it back to what really makes that thing work, what mm. makes that technique work. And then you can drill that part. If you're smart, you didn't take that part and you drill it with aliveness so that you can acquire timing. Mm. And, uh, and, and the temptation and what you run into, and the reason why this gets lost so easily is because once people, by definition, anybody who's good at jujitsu is good at what I just said, right? Mm. Um, the temptation though, is once you become a black belt, you become a, an instructor is to teach your routes, the branches of the tree that you really dig that you're good at and everything else. Mm. And, and everybody tends to skip over what actually the, the skeletal structure that actually makes the artwork, which is the base posture and directions of force. Mm. And so, you know, a good, a good coach, rather than just teach what, what they do or teach what they like is going to go back and give their students that same fundamental blueprint and then let the students find their own routes to let the students make their own tree and figure out which branches they like because as i've said before every brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt legitimate black belt is completely different they all have totally different styles much of some of it's based on how you're built a great deal of it is based on your personality and your temperament but everybody's different and it's not the type of art where you want to go in and just mimic somebody else's exactly what they're doing. That won't be the almost guaranteed. That's not going to be the best route for you. Your route's going to be a little bit different. The fundamentals will be the same, hmm. but the way you apply those fundamentals, if you're to, when, if you're doing them maximum efficiency for yourself, that's going to be unique. Hmm. Right. Um, one more question. I'm, so I'm thinking about, my own process and this is kind of a thinking out loud moment on kind of where to take that next step and you mentioned sbgu uh there's a lot of videos there uh, there's a lot of different positions one of my ideas intuitive ideas and i don't know if it's the right one or not is so let's say there are positions where i where i struggle or i i lose them more easily uh, or I don't know exactly what I'm doing. So I guess one approach, one idea that I have could be to go to those positions and to see what you offer, what, what you teach and to try to figure them out. Or is it better to kind of have some hierarchy start from guard or any other position and then work my way through? Like, what would you say? Like, how, how could I choose the next step in this journey? Um, well, each, we have a foundations program at our gym mm -hmm. and we have a foundations program for the organization that, um, that I think most of the gyms, in, at least in the United States use. And, um, and that's, that's designed intentionally to give people who've never seen jujitsu who know nothing about Brazilian jujitsu, a solid introduction to the art. Mm -hmm. And it's designed to do it in such a way that I, I feel will benefit them the most. And okay. so that the way that the way I designed that, foundations program is it's, it's designed like a fight. So you're in a physical conflict, beginning standing, and somebody puts their hands on you, and then we move from there. They grab your head, escape the headlock, you know, on top of it. It's, and throughout the course of doing this fight, they're learning the, the really the core of, of the art. And 
the one of for example of one of the best lessons i think one of my favorite lessons to teach in brazilian jiu-jitsu and if people bring me in have never seen me before and they, they say teach whatever you want i'll probably teach this and that's headlock escapes hmm. i love the headlock escape curriculum and the reason why i love the headlock escape curriculum in jiu-jitsu is because within that little mini curriculum which is just a few movements right there's really only two things you're doing essentially two techniques that you really do from the headlock at the at the core but within that little mini curriculum is every principle within jiu-jitsu every mm. single principle base posture connection pressure all of it is there position first all of it is there within that little curriculum so if somebody really teaches that class well and or the other students are really paying attention you can learn so much about jiu-jitsu just from that class and the other reason i like it is it's so functional you can have someone that at the beginning of the class cannot escape if we really had someone hold them they're really stuck and at the end of class to say 90 minutes later can literally escape pretty much every single time right mm -hmm. and so so then they feel the power of of jiu-jitsu when it's done well how much you can accomplish so given the choice if i'm that's what I would teach. When I teach my kids, when I teach people that I care about, and just working with them one-on-one, -on -one, I can start wherever I want. I almost always start with headlock escapes. Mm. So I would tell people, listen, no matter where you're at in your jujitsu right now, if you feel like you've not really kind of mastered that headlock escape curriculum, if you don't 100% understand it, I would encourage them to go back to that, practice that. Mm. And in the course of practicing that, look for the things that I talked about here, base, posture, connection, pressure, mm. direct so force. And they'll be able to identify all that tree in, in the headlock escape curriculum. And then you're gonna be able to take that and you're gonna be able to apply that to anything. Mm. If you've done that headlock curriculum, right? And you're wondering where to go after that, you, could, you can start anywhere. The old school way of starting Hickson's Gracie's style of doing it was he, he would say defense, offense, defense. Hmm. What he meant by that is first we start with survival. First we start with escapes. Hmm. Um, and so you would, you would spend the first year or two learning how to escape against somebody big and strong hmm. holding you down. And then from the escapes, you're going to wind up getting on top. And now we're doing offense. So now you're focused on holding someone down and not letting them escape. And then it, as you advance in that, submissions are going to start to come. So now you can escape when someone bigs on top of you. You can hold them down. And because you're capable of holding them down, you're going to present them with only a few bad options to escape. And that creates a submission. Mm. And then now we're, we go back and now we have to learn how to counter submissions because that the level of, that we're playing at are our training partners can submit us as well. So we go back to defense again. So it's defense, offense, defense. That's the old school way of doing it. I think that's a fantastic uh, way to do it. Um, and there's a lot of value in that, particularly in, in the fact that the most important thing of jujitsu, especially jujitsu for fighting is survival. It's all about survival. From Hickson's standpoint, if you're in a street fight, if you survive, you won. It's all about mm -hmm. survival against superior odds. So I think that's a very good way to do it. But you could also begin your jujitsu career by learning how to hold people down. And then once the students get really good at holding each other down, the, the intense desire and need for escaping will have organically come up. And then you can start to focus with them on escapes. And that, and that works too. Hmm. Okay, I think in the holding down, that's kind of where I'm focusing at most, especially like I learned some pressure stuff from you like putting yeah. on pressure with people i think people hate me for that <laughs> the ones who get under me who are you know who i can keep holding yeah. so i feel a bit bad about that but i guess that's part of the game <laughs> you're you're giving them the opportunity to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations they should be grateful okay. for that okay and it's it's also too it's, it's a side question from the main subject but i'm curious so i, I mean let's say mount and i'm putting a lot of pressure i'm still struggling to find a submission there uh, mm. especially if the person is not giving it out and i'm wondering sometimes i almost catch myself sabotaging myself because i'm like well maybe i should let them escape so action would continue or maybe i should try to change position kind of artificially so i would 
work on that instead of just crushing them for the next three minutes? I don't know. What's what? What do we think? Well, there, there's a there's a balance there that has to be had, in that you want people to continue training with you, right? So at the at the end of the day, your um, training session should be fun. It should be hmm. something that you and your training partner enjoy. And if, if it's not, then one of you is probably bound to quit. So you always got to keep that in mind in the back of your head, right? Keep, you know, here in Gracie had a way he phrased it, which I like a lot, which was keep it playful. Hmm. Should always be kept it kind of, kind of playful and rarely ever necessary to have like this intense training session. That's for people. If like, if you're getting ready for a tournament and you're in a particular phase of your training, then okay for a while, but really your jujitsu should be mostly playful. Hmm. So with that in mind though, If your goal, if you and your training partner's goal is just to get very good at jujitsu, then no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to just give away a position because, because um, you want to keep some kind of flow going. The goal of jujitsu is not to flow. Mm. The goal of jujitsu is to survive against superior odds and then to win, to dominate. And what happens is, there's a stage, especially at blue belt, even at purple belt sometimes where you're going to be pretty good at holding people down, but your submission skills haven't quite evolved yet, hmm. which is totally natural. Good. You know, if your submission, if your submission skills evolve pre prior to, or before you get good at holding position, you don't actually have good submissions. You're just training with people who suck. Hmm. As soon as you start to train with people who know what they're doing, the, the submissions are only going to come as a result of you being able to hold them down, being able to apply pressure. Hmm. And, And what the pressure does is it forces them if they when they go to escape, uh, it forces them to to have to make a mistake. Hmm. Right. There's no you give them some options, all of them which are kind of bad and all of which are risky for them because there's a potential submission. And at first you're going to hold them down and then you're going to get kind of bored like you're, you're getting you're going to start to feel bad for them. And maybe you'll start to see them a little bit, but you're not quite fast. Fast is not the right word, but you're not quite. You don't have the timing yet to take it. Like you'll see, oh, there was an arm bar or there was a Americana, whatever it is, but you didn't quite take it. And then after some period of time of doing that, you'll start to take the submission, take the submission. Mm -hmm. And and that's how it, that's just how jujitsu works. That's the organic kind of evolution of people's games. So you have to be, to get to that point, you have to be um, willing to hold practice holding people down or be held down for a long time hmm. okay so i shouldn't feel too bad about it essentially no. well, I mean, go back to what i said about number one though you just want to make sure you guys are having fun but, yeah but but being able to hold people is a necessary step for jujitsu your, your submissions come after that they don't come before that hmm. and uh, i'm nearing down to the last question but coming to the main subject Coming back to the main subject, uh, you mentioned the headlock escape. And actually, as you were talking, I just occurred to me, I never went for a fundamental, like a uh, quote-unquote beginner's structure program. I started in a kind of uh, dog-eats-dog kind of gym <laughs> where we were yeah. just mainly just trying to kill each other. Yeah, Then yeah. I moved to Portland, but I already I was beyond beginner level and I didn't go yeah. to, the, to that program. So, yeah. but coming back to the headlock, uh, is there something on... SBGU where you explain the whole process of the headlock escape? Yeah. So they can go down into the drop down menu and SBG is broken down by position and you can find it there under escapes or under headlock. You, there'll be various um, videos where I'm showing that. Hmm. And if they're a member of the gym, if they're a coach at one of the SBGs, then they'll have access to, I actually filmed each lesson that is the foundations program mm -hmm. and they can watch that. And not only am I teaching the technique, but I'm also showing you how to teach it to other people at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and you can also, you, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can like search for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu headlock escapes and, and, you know, they'll come up and, um, And just watch how that how that works, right? So the first thing you're going to see is you're going to see the person on bottom get base. Mm. And then you're going to see them adjust. Because they have that base, they're going to begin to adjust their posture so that they have better leverage and connection. And then you're going to see them apply force. They're going to apply a movement, use, use some energy, throw the leg over or move the hips back. 
um, in a particular angle and then it will work or won't work and then they wind up on top and then again they establish their base and then they set up their posture and then you go for the submission and it's it's a beautiful perfect kind of example of of how jujitsu operates when it's done the right way in, incorporated in one little curriculum and the other thing i try and tell people too because this happens to a lot of um, jujitsu players is at a certain level like i said before by the time you get to blue belt you pretty much know what you need to know to be able to defend yourself on the ground against somebody big and strong who's not also a jujitsu player you'll, you'll be fine right so after that point, what happens is we wind up primarily training to fight other jujitsu people. Or if you're doing MMA, right? You're a mixed martial arts fighter. You're training to fight other people who know what you know, who also know how to fight. And we often forget that people who don't know how to fight aren't going to respond the same way as someone who knows how to fight. They'll grab your head. They're going to grab your head and squeeze. So, if, you know, you could be a, a brown belt, but you get in an altercation with a big, strong guy and you're not paying attention. They're probably going to grab your head. And so it's always a good idea to go back and review those escapes. Right? It was uh, Dean Lister, who's a very good jujitsu competitor, I, I have a lot of respect for, went for years without ever getting submitted in competition. And then a few years ago, he had a match with Josh Barnett, who's another really good kind of MMA pioneer from the North Pacific Northwest up here. And Josh got him in a very legit head and arm. Casey Gatami, uh, basically a variation of a headlock and submitted Dean from that position. And I, I have no doubt it was an actual submission. The way Josh applied it, it becomes, you can't breathe, right? Mm. But I'm sure that in the back of Dean's mind at some point, he was thinking, man, I, I should have gone back and reviewed headlock escapes. But probably <laughs> when was the last time anybody ever grabbed him like that? It may have been, right. he may not have been grabbed like that for 15, 20 years. I don't know. because So it's always good to go back and, and review those fundamental spots too, so that we, our jujitsu can work against everybody. Hmm. Um, one more, one more thing. You mentioned the fundamental program for the instructors. So this, because it's for the instructors, maybe I, I can make this off record. Uh, do you think that would be worthwhile for me to look through if I would? You should have access to it and you should, uh, you should go back and watch it. And, uh, it's been so it's been a couple of years since I shot it. So don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure the first lesson is headlock escapes, but within the first three lessons hmm. is exactly what I'm going to tell you. Right. And you should go back and you should um, drill that with people there. And it, it will, it will definitely help with jujitsu. Okay. So, but, okay. But so also, really, sorry. Good. It, it'll serve as a perfect example for the formula. SBG, you having some kind of an entry curriculum for beginners? I think it's a right roadmap and that, and that is exactly what you're talking about. So I teach. These are the fundamentals for students. Yeah, that, that's what it's for. It's like, okay, so here, you're just starting out now. Here's, here's, here's how to go in order. I think that would be a great um, video as well of me just going through that. And I'm sure that's going to, I have a feeling it's going to change my game because I'm, I'm missing so many fundamentals and the first techniques you mentioned, like the first techniques you learn are the best ones. Yeah. I missed most of them. So I keep learning fancy moves and it's like, I, yeah. So I think that that would be interesting to document how that would change my game. So I'll probably do that. I'll yeah. Look that up and um, I'll take a look at it too and review. It might be good to do a refresher course on that too. So probably the last question, just for a general viewer, uh, I think you you kind of explained that quite well already. But to summarize, like what what is the the benefit of focusing on fundamentals versus techniques? So let's say for for someone who hasn't never thought about it, benefits to learning fundamental jujitsu. Uh, there's a there's many um, to begin with. I think it's the most functional type of jujitsu. So John Franklin and I talked about this recently in our SPG podcast, but there's a, a kind of logical fallacy that runs through a lot of um, a lot of the community where they think that whatever the top level players are doing at the moment must be, you know, the most functional, the, the coolest, the newest, most powerful jujitsu, which is, is not true. What, what they're, what they're doing is what works for them at that level of competition. And that if you're talking about Gordon Ryan, you're talking about somebody who's incredibly talented at jujitsu, but what's going to work for the vast majority of people uh, 
is different and that's what we're interested in so fundamental jujitsu does you don't have to be young or strong or gifted in any way it's it's the most functional efficient technique that we've found for everybody and mm -hmm. the key word there when we talk about what is a fundamental in jujitsu the key word is probably efficient but oh i use three so the first one is what i just discussed it's universal so it's going to be it's going to be the most efficient route for a 120 pound woman or a 260 pound man or a 65 year old uh, retiree or an 18 year old college student is still going to be the most efficient way to escape a headlock, for example. Right. If there was a more efficient way for us to escape that headlock, we would use it. We've we've nailed it. We think we have the answer. Here it is. That's by definition, that's going to be the most efficient way for everybody. It's universal. Um, number two, it's repeatable. It's a repeatable experiment. It's not Gordon Ryan or somebody else that can do this in a particular, it's everybody. Everybody makes this work over and over again. We've seen it thousands of times everywhere. Just like anything else that's empirical, it should be uh, repeatable. It should be a repeatable mm -hmm. experiment. It's not an experiment of one where this guy can pull it off. It's an experiment that's over and over and over again. And then last but not least, the, and this is the thing we're looking the most for, it's what I'm always looking for in my job, what I do is I try and find the most efficient solution to any given problem in jujitsu and pass that along to the SBG coaches and students so that they can teach that. And I'm constantly going back to the positions every year over and over again. And I'm, I'm looking at them again to see if I can refine it to a more efficient answer. Mm. I'm always doing that. And I will always continue to do that. I kind of, that to me, that's what I feel like my, one of my main jobs is as a head of SBG. But what do I mean when I, what I mean efficient? I mean as little as possible, but no less. We're looking mm -hmm. for an answer that allows you to use as little strength, as little explosiveness, as little, as little speed, as little risk as possible, but mm -hmm. no less. And that's a measurement that's, that is not just likely to lend itself, but is guaranteed to lend itself to continued refinement, right? And so, for example, the headlock escape curriculum we've been talking about, I, I believe, is the most efficient, it's universal, it's repeatable, most efficient way for someone to escape a headlock or to solve that problem, that physical mm. problem. When you're a brand new white belt, you probably are going to use a lot of pushing and pulling and energy and stuff that's going to be mixed in there to make the technique work. And as you progress and continue practicing, continue drilling, and you get better and better timing, you can use a lot less of that. You can get to the point where, you know, somebody like Coach Frankel can be very, very relaxed physically mm -hmm. and escape the headlock even better than someone big and strong who's using a lot of energy. They're using the same technique, but Coach Frankel is able to use a lot less, a lot less strength, a lot less use, everything else because he's become more efficient with his timing. So that measurement of efficiency is, is going to continue to to go deeper, both for us individuals as practitioners of the art, but also, you know, there's always little refinements you can make. I taught the headlock escape curriculum the same way. I saw it the first time 30 something years ago. Hmm. I'd been teaching it for 23 years, pretty much the same way. And then when Hickson came up, whatever it was, four, four or five years ago and came to Portland, he showed me something on the headlock escape that made it twice as efficient. It's a mm -hmm. tiny little detail that, I, that I've ever, ever since I've put into the curriculum and passed along, but just makes a massive difference. It's related to connection. So from the outside, the technique looks exactly the same, but there's a detail related to how you connect to your opponent that makes that movement way more efficient. Had I not, if Hickson hadn't shown me that, I may or may not have found it. I probably wouldn't have found it on my own. So, so, uh, um, although I will say, you know, the way we teach the headlock curriculum is the most efficient way. I always add that little as, that we know so far. Hmm. I always leave room for somebody like Hickson or anybody, you, anybody else could all of a sudden discover a little detail or, or uh, adjustment that makes that movement more efficient. And so efficiency is a measurement that's likely to admit to ever increasing depth. But that's the goal of jiu-jitsu. And the difference about Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Gracie jiu-jitsu 
and other fighting styles is the whole goal of jujitsu is to try and use as little of the, of those things I mentioned as possible. And the reason why we want to use as little of those things as possible is so that when we're outclassed in those things, when we're up against somebody younger, bigger, stronger, faster, hmm. our technique will be able to allow us to survive. Hmm. And if we're relying on use, speed, strength, you know, then that's not going to work once you're outside your weight class. So the goal of a jiu-jitsu fighter is, is efficiency. Hmm. The goal of jiu-jitsu techniques is to be efficient. And a fundamental, by definition, is going to be the most efficient way we know how to operate at from that particular position within the given moment. And it's going to be a universal movement, just like there's no such thing as Canadian geometry. There's no such thing as a Japanese headlock escape, right? It's a, it's not bound by culture or time or geography, and it's going to be repeatable. Mm-hmm. You can come up with the same results. Some small woman you teach will come up with the same results. A football player I teach will wind up using and having the same results. And that's, that's the beauty. That is the beauty of fundamentals. When I go into, I just got back from Atlanta and I taught a seminar, uh, two day seminar. First day was guard passing. And the second day was about base. What is base? Every single thing I taught, everyone in that room can use. Hmm. Not only, not only can everyone in that room use it, everyone in that room was using it by the end of the seminar. Every single thing. There was one thing I, sh- I thought I taught that said, well, you might like this. This might be something some of you will do and some of you won't. That mm. wasn't there. Everything was relevant. And, mm. uh, and that's because all I do is focus on fundamentals. And, and imagine the, um, think about the benefit of that in terms of time, in terms of time saved, in terms of the value of, of what the students are getting. Everything they're seeing and everything they've taught is something that they're going to, that they will be using. And probably because fundamentals are generally mechanically pretty simple, one or two step movements, probably used by the end of the class. I, well, first of all, I love all that stuff. (laughs) So it's great to hear about it again. And just actually just one final question popped into my mind, like a kind of a personal uh, question regarding my own process. Because I'm so I'm trying to look very deeply at all of this and to find the fundamentals and to question, okay, is this the best way to learn? I also sometimes wonder if I'm not overthinking and maybe I'm putting too much stress on myself, especially being a blue belt, that maybe I should be somewhere more in the middle of sometimes just enjoying the training and learning all the fancy techniques because that's what I get. Or or do you think it's it's normal and okay to be so um I know analytical about it all and to always search for the best solution. Where, where would, where would you stand in that? Right. Um, two things. First thing is, yeah, you want to enjoy the journey. So, um, what I try and tell students is focus on what you're doing, not on how you're doing. Mm. So a lot of times when people are training, when they, when they get frustrated with jujitsu, the reason why they're frustrated with jujitsu or, or any, any functional martial art, is usually because they're measuring themselves against somebody else. They're not measuring themselves against themselves last year. They're measuring themselves against somebody else. And they're, they're chasing a goal in their mind, be it a black belt or a particular level of skill or something that's in the distant future. Hmm. And measuring how close or far away they think they are on a given day to this imaginary goal that they've created. Then the goal may be completely legit. I'm not saying it's not, but that's that's what they're that's how they spend their time thinking and, and that's what they're working on. And that's a complete waste of time. That's that's just a waste of energy. It it'll it'll lend itself to frustration. Like and I like to tell the students frustration is the most useless emotion possible to the degree that it somehow initiates some some uh, actual practical action on the part of the student. It can sometimes be helpful, but generally just sitting around being frustrated doesn't do anybody good, any good. So instead of doing that, think about what you're doing at a given moment in time. So if you're doing jujitsu, focus on the jujitsu that you're doing right now. If the instructor's teaching, focus on what that instructor is teaching right then and there. When you're drilling, focus on being present in the very the moment with your training partner when you're drilling and 
when all that's done and over, if you find yourself thinking a lot about jujitsu analytically, the way you were talking about, if what you're doing is you're thinking about jujitsu in a mechanical sense, like mm. how does it work? Could it work better if I did this? You're not measuring yourself against somebody else or against some mm. future goal. You're just obsessed with the mechanics of jujitsu, right? Mm. And I think that's actually a blessing mm. because um, so one of the ways I would explain this to people is I would say, listen, I've been doing jujitsu for 30 something years. In my lifetime, I've had the privilege of seeing three or four people mm. who were able to, out of the th thousands, probably tens of thousands at this point, students that I've had, right? Mm. I've seen three or four people who were able to go from white belt level to competitive. When I say black belt, I'm, I'm saying, you know, as a measurable physical skill, mm. they were able to go from white belt with no wrestling or anything else to high level black belt, somebody that can compete at the highest levels and be competitive within five or six years. Mm. I've seen, I've seen maybe three. Mm. And what I think about as a coach, because my job is to help people get better is boy, what do those people have in common? Right. Yeah. What do they have in common? And I'll often ask people at the seminar what they think they have in common and I'll get answers back like discipline and, and work ethic. And yeah, I mean, they, they train a lot. For sure, they're putting a lot of hours on the mat, um, but I've never seen one of them ever think, "Man, I got to go to jujitsu again." Oh, I just got to harden up. I got to go do it. It's not like that. They're going to jujitsu because they love jujitsu, mm. right? So it's so it's not that the discipline part is is not necessary because they're doing something that they really love. Mm. I'm not saying discipline isn't necessary. I'm saying mm. they're in so in love with the activity that they that they do it out of enjoyment. So that's number one. And that, and that lends itself to doing it a lot. So instead of measuring the years, I said four or five years, measure the hour in that four or five years, most of them put in more hours than the average student would in 12 years. Right. Mm. And that's okay because most of us have jobs or families or kids or life. And most people can only train jujitsu realistically two or three days a week. And if we're being honest, out of that two or three days a week, they probably really only get maybe two hours a time solid training. So they're getting six or eight hours a week at max. Probably most people get at best six hours a week, right? Mm -hmm. 24 hours a month, okay? Right. 250 some odd hours a year. Whereas some of these people are getting four hours a day. Mm -hmm. They'll do four hours a day for four or five years. So in reality, they have more hours. Mm -hmm. So put that aside for a second that let's just say that that's a given. That's just mm. that's something you have to have. You have to have the desire to put in those hours. The second thing that they all have in common is exactly what you're talking about. Mm. They're obsessed analytically with how the art works. Mm. Absolutely obsessed with it. And they'll sit there and think about it all the time. They're, they wait, they're going to bed at night. And they can't sleep because they're trying to solve this triangle that this guy keeps getting them in a triangle or, and, uh, and that is, I think the most common attribute that people who get really, really good at jujitsu have. Mm. And so somebody that comes to me and says, yeah, am I thinking too much about it? If you're thinking about yourself measured against somebody else or some distant goal, then yeah. Don't do that. But if you're thinking about the art analytically, kind of like an engineer trying to reverse engineer it to make it more efficient possible, then I say, congratulations, you are now one of those people who has the opportunity mm. to get super good at jujitsu, because I think that that is a necessary component. Mm. And they'll think about it in different ways. People have some of them, I think, for example, Hickson has a, a more of an artistic way I think he thinks about things and and analyzes things but 100% there's a man when you talk to him who's been obsessed his entire life with solving physical problems of jujitsu mm. and others that um, have more of an engineering uh, analytical style where they're they're breaking down the art like an engineer would and mm. putting the pieces together to try and figure out to build a model in their own brain of how the art works and in the process of building that model they accelerate their learning curve Mm. They're able to problem solve. You're able to problem solve on the mat. If you can see really good fighters, really, really good jujitsu people, you can see them sometimes problem solve in the middle of a match. I've seen guys in MMA in the cage 
stop for a second, look at the position they're in, adjust and solve that problem physically mm. using, using jujitsu. I've seen that happen. So yes, if it, if you're, if it's the analytical thinking about how it works, I think that that's a blessing, not a curse. Mm. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a great answer. And I think personally, I'm probably somewhere in the middle between the two because there's definitely a passion in me to understand how things work. I'm just naturally drawn to that. But also I think there's a bit of that frustration because I want to become as good as possible, as fast as possible. And I think part of that comes from me spending 15 years in Aikido and learning nothing useful. And I think my, my psyche is like going like, I want to recover those years. So I think, but I probably should try to ditch that part of my brain and just not worry about the the pace but on how fast i'll learn but just like as you said like just focus on the process itself i think that, that yeah, part makes focus, sense. On the, focus on the process itself that's normal like uh i don't i don't mean to imply that that we don't all do that everybody does that everybody to some extent or another will will think about where they're at in relation to other people or in relation to where they think they should be that's a normal human quality i just don't think it's a good use of time right so the more we get away from that the better and for most of us and this is especially true for me i didn't actually figure that out until i got much older mm. so it's not something i knew when i was your age or mm. young when I was younger, I was completely obsessed with my performance and level to a point where I was actually a detriment to my students because I was more focused on myself mm. than I was them. I've definitely done that. But then what happens is you get to a certain level or you achieve, you achieve something or you just some certain time goes by and you look back and think, well, what good did that do me? It didn't do me any good. I would still do jujitsu. I'd still train. I, I could have just taken that energy and I could have applied it to more practical ways to train or I could have applied it to helping other people instead mm -hmm. of obsessing about where I was. The black belt is a great uh, example for us to use because everybody that starts Brazilian jujitsu, I think at one level or another, it wants to be a black belt. You're looking, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a physical, when, it, when it's a real belt, it's mm. a, it's just a physical symbol of an actual skill set that can't be faked any more than you can fake being able to play the guitar or speak Spanish. Right. And people want to be able to play the guitar or speak Spanish at the level where they get that, that acknowledgement. Mm. And the people who want it the most are usually the ones that tell you they don't care about belts. So think. Chris Howder told me long ago, he's like, the dude that comes and tells you he doesn't care about belts, that's the guy. <laughs> so, but everybody to one degree or another is a little bit like that, right? Hmm. And then what happens is if you continue training and you don't stop, uh, most people will achieve that. And for most people, it's like on average, let's say 12 to 14 years. And so they started jujitsu 12 years later, they get the black belt. Then they're going to look back and they're going to think, what difference did it make if I got my black belt 12 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago? Once you get your black belt, that's your last belt. I mean, when we all get old, we'll get the black and red one, but mm. you're going to be that belt for the rest of your life. Mm. And, and, and once you get it, it just becomes one of those things where, well, you're proud that you achieve that level of skill, but like the date, the amount of time, the amount of hours it took you to get that is, is like, you forget it. You don't even remember hmm. and you don't even care. Hmm. So, but that's really hard to tell a young blue belt or hungry purple belt. Who's looking at that, like who's thinking how, you know, they got to work to get their next belt worth to get their next belt. Hmm. That's an example of wasting time. You're, you're measuring yourself against a future level of skill what you should do is you should take that energy and take that thought and apply it into what you're doing. Hmm. Take that and start use that to actually start thinking about your jujitsu. Think about your training. Think about your drilling. Think about your everything that that we do. Focus on what you're doing, not how how well you are or are not doing. Mm -hmm. that, that that's a good quote. I think I should write it down somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but that makes a lot of sense. I think, and it's it's the perfect thing for me to hear because I, I did, uh, long story short, I, I decided to 
in, intensify and do some more training these days, both kickboxing and BJJ. And to kind of motivate myself, I did set up some goals. And one of the goals is, wow. and I'm I'm kind of questioning that goal even myself, um, about to make it public, like get a black belt in BJJ somewhere down the road, which I think would be awesome. I think that would be a great documented journey and experience. But I'm also, I want also want to make sure that that doesn't become de- detrimental to my training because I I I, I can. F- hear you like how you say how that actually can get in the way if if i'm so again coming back to your quote your phrase that i shouldn't focus on how well i'm doing because i think that comes there as well like am i getting closer to purple belt or it's like but it's at the same time when i think about it more deeply or or irrationally that's gonna happen one way or another if if i become very good which is the point or just like becoming better and better solving also all the problems the belt is just a side effect of that versus I'm getting to the belt, I think. Exactly. And using your Aikido analogy, and I can understand why why that would lend itself to paranoia is not the right word, but concern, right? Because right. yeah. you, you invested so many years in something that you turned around and realized it was probably a waste of time. So, But that's a good lesson. So if you, if you go back and think about how could you have solved that sooner? this dilemma of doing Aikido sooner. The answer wouldn't have been focusing uh, harder on getting your whatever degree black belt in Aikido. Hmm. The answer would have been thinking a lot more about what you were doing. If you were thinking about what you were doing in Aikido Mm -hmm. and and comparing what you were doing to what you saw other people doing in arts like MMA and functional martial arts, you would have come to this conclusion sooner. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, that's how you came to the conclusion, right? You yeah. came to the conclusion by by comparing what you were doing to other things. You came to the conclusion by thinking of the technology, not right. not of not of yourself. Yeah. And and so even in that type of situation where if someone is concerned that they're wasting time, well, guess what? The best way to know whether or not you're wasting time is to think about what you're doing, not how you're doing. Think about the mechanics of what you're actually doing in the moment. Mm. Yeah. Great. I think yeah. I'll, I think I'll. I think that's probably like my roadmap for for the next steps is look for the fundamentals because I'm still missing a lot of them. I I I feel like I don't know exactly like what's what in the fundamentals. So go through them and probably just start looking for them much more. Doing whatever I'm taught, whatever fancy move I'm <laughs> given, and trying to just drill them and apply them. So yeah. You know, one last thing I'll say that yeah. people should keep in mind in, in relation to what you're saying, where you said, you know, you're missing a lot of fundamentals. Yeah. Everybody's missing a lot of fundamentals. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been doing jujitsu for 30 something years. And for most of that time, I've been totally focused on fundamentals because that's what I like. Hmm. And I'm still constantly seeing new things like the example I gave you of uh, the headlock, deta- headlock escape detail from Hickson yeah. or things from Coach Henry or things from... Chris Howder when he's here or things from, you know, coach Frankel, I'm constantly seeing new little details um, related to fundamentals that I think, man, I wish I'd figured that out 20 years ago. And when, when you learn something new about jujitsu like that, it's like the type of thing where you want to slap yourself in the head because it's always so simple, Mm. such a simple, uh, it's good jujitsu, fundamental jujitsu is always, um, 100% clear and simple in hindsight. You mm-hmm. look back and you're like, well, that's yeah. so obvious. Why didn't I think about yeah. that? But but that's all I do. This is what I do for a living. I've been doing it for decades. That, that's mm-hmm. that's how I think about it. And I'm still constantly, what, what, what I really love about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and what keeps me involved in it is, is the fact that I'm constantly learning new things like that. So mm-hmm. so while I have no doubt you're missing a, a bunch of stuff with fundamentals, everybody's missing a bunch of mm-hmm. stuff it's like once you put yourself on that path to learn fundamentals, you will always be like, there's no point where you're going to go, well, I've got the fundamentals now. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think I'm also lucky too, because I think as you just explained, that process is a lifelong process. But at the same time, I also have the luck of standing on the shoulder of, shoulders of giants. I think that that's the phrase I learned from you is because I think from what I gather in the past, there were very few, if any, instructors who would really 
break down things in an explanatory way. But yeah. you're doing this right now, and you mentioned at least a couple of other people. So it's, it's probably still much easier now to try to catch up than it was 30 years ago. A thousand, thousand times easier. Back in the day, a blue belt before pre-internet, before uh, the pre-video VHS cassette tapes, um, a blue belt had, had like magical knowledge, right? If a blue belt came to town from Los Angeles or something, they'd that you had to go and find that person and train with them to, to get this knowledge. And now you can literally pick up your phone and if you know what to look for, get access to just about anything. So yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much that, that this conversation was as always like, you know, the conversations with you are <laughs> so, so good for me. So thank you for this.